Tonight's very special episode of Snow the Goalie is brought to you by Cinch by Amerigas. Go check out their website, cinch.com. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com. Use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD, and you'll get your first tank of brand new propane delivered to your home for just $10. You take your old propane tank, leave it out front, and they will come exchange your old empty tank for a brand new one from Cinch, C-Y-N-C-H.com. And with the promo code CROSSINGBROAD, it'll cost you just $10.00. They'll deliver it, take your old one away. What better way to get yourself ready for the the, uh, stretch run of the grilling season than to go with cinch.com? A big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. This is Dale Weiss. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... Snow the Goalie. 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 Welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, the Prognosticators podcast, and oh my goodness, Anthony Sanfilippo, do we have a treat for the fans of the Delaware Valley tonight? Yeah, we do, Russ, and I'll tell you why I'm most excited about this special guest joining us on the Snow the Goalie podcast tonight. It's Bill Meltzer uh, from, uh, you, you name it, Bill is on every website, I think, anymore, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, uh, Hockey Buzz. But I'm really thrilled to have Bill on the show for one main reason. It'll, it stops me from having to do all the heavy lifting around here. Wow. I was going to say the same about you, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've seen a lot of people say that uh, Bill Meltzer is the Ray Didinger of the Flyers. And I think it's actually kind of offensive because I've, I've done my research. I have been told by people who know Ray Didinger that he actually goes to bed at night wearing Bill Meltzer pajamas. <laughs> Uh, that's true. So anyway, Bill, thank you for joining us. Hey guys, <laughs> it's nice to uh, nice to be here. Nice to get things going. We had a little bit of a uh, little bit of a production getting getting everybody together here, but uh, you know, uh, looking forward to it. It's great. It's like it's just like uh, old home week here. Now it's like we're sitting up in the press box once again. Yeah, me stuck bet- stuck between uh, between you guys. But it'll be uh, it'll be kind of fun to actually catch up with you, Bill, and talk about a lot of the things that the fans want to talk about as far as this team is concerned uh, after an interesting offseason, to say the least. Um, and also, obviously, the fans love talking to you uh, or getting your take on a lot of the prospects because we know that uh, it's not just – Bill Meltzer doesn't just sit – down at the Wells Fargo Center and watch the games or sit over in Voorhees and watch the practices. You go home and you're watching like the World Junior Sh- Summer Showcase. You're following uh, all the players over in Europe. You know everything that's going on deep into the organization. And so it's really great to have you on the show to talk about all those topics as well. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's always a pleasure talking with you guys. Uh, I, you know, I, I like when we're on the press box you know, doing some intermission stuff. So you know, it should be a lot of fun. Let's get rolling. All right, so, Bill, I, I want to get started with uh, something that's, I think, been really big in, in Flyers land. And, um, you know, we talked about it with uh, Mertidis and Cohen, I guess it was probably two weeks ago now. Yep, two um, and, ago. and at that point, the news had broken that Paul Holmgren was stepping down uh, from his position as president of the uh, of the team and it was going to be taking an advisory role. Just wanted to, to get your thoughts on uh, on Paul Holmgren's move 
and uh, what he meant to the organization before we move on to uh, a couple things that happened a little bit more recently. Well, uh, you know, I, I think Paul is such an iconic figure in the organization. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote in a blog recently. I mean, I, I, I in some ways have a hard time being objective just because I, I, I like and admire Homer so much, um, you know, as a hockey person, also as a human being. Um, you know, I, I think if you can look at Paul's tenure as general manager, and I know I know there are people that disagree with this, but I think on, on the whole, there was a lot more positive than negative. You know, if, if Paul had a flaw, it, it was being a little too aggressive sometimes. But, uh, you know, but I think when you look at the, the bulk of his work, particularly the first few years in, in taking over with taking over the team at the during the worst season in franchise history, a year later, having them in the, in the Eastern Conference finals, two years after that, you know, within, within an overtime win of getting to game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. Um, knocking off knocking off the Penguins in, in 2012, one of the most exciting series that I've seen in a long time. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think when you look at his, his tenure, um, losing Chris Pronger um, abruptly, uh, trying to trying to fill that gaping hole in the blue line, uh, atop the blue line, really shut the window on the team, and they 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 were never able quite to fill that. You know, they they went the offer sheet route with Shea Weber. They they tried this, they tried that. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I think if you look, if you look overall, his impact was tremendous. Um, you know, I, I know how how admired he is, and I also know that Paul does a lot of things that he doesn't. You know, he doesn't even want out in public, but he does a lot of good things for a lot of people. He's a believer in, in paying things forward. Um, you know, to to other people, providing opportunities, providing second chances to people. Um, I, I think as I think as team president, he had a very difficult job. I don't think people realize that that um, before Ed Snyder passed away, he went to Paul and said, basically, you know, I know I'm not going to be here forever, and you know, uh, your your job as team president will be to keep the Flyers the Flyers. I mean, that's a that's a mighty heavy responsibility that was laid on Paul's shoulders. I think he handled it. You know, I think he handled it very well overall, and, and actually, you know, for the most part, I think until nearly the end. You know, Paul was pretty hands-off with the general manager, and I know that for a fact. So, you know, I, I, I'm sorry to see Paul step down as team president. Uh, I do know that he legitimately did want to spend more time with his grandkids, kind of, you know, winding things down. I think I do think that uh, a lot of what Paul was saying, you know, and as long as, as, long as Paul is going out on, on his own terms and will still be around at games and that kind of thing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I, I think if... You know, I, I think the most you, you could want for anybody that you admire is that they are they when they the time comes they feel, you know, necessary to take a step back. They do it on their own terms, and as long as it was on Paul's own terms, and from every indication I've heard on and off the record, it's something that Paul was thinking of doing for a while. You know, I'm I'm happy for him, but uh, he's absolutely going to be missed as a as a day in and day out presence. And again, I don't think people realize one half of what what Paul has actually meant to the organization. And I'm glad Bill says this stuff for us. And I'm not just saying that because it's been the same story that I've been, you know, kind of sharing on this podcast for a long time about Paul Holmgren and, and you know, the fights that I have with people on social media about Paul Holmgren and, and, and what he means to the organization. But, you know, it, it's good to hear, you know, more voices. We heard uh, – now, Bill has said it tonight. We heard Jason Martita say it a couple weeks ago on this show. Um, you know, th th these are guys who were down there every night, and these are guys who are around the team on a very regular basis. 
and get to see the inner workings of the franchise a little bit differently than you know the average fan, let's say. And so it's it's good to see and hear these things coming from you know from Jason and now Bill to let people know that you know that this is going to be a big loss for the Flyers, no matter how you slice it. Not having Paul Holmgren around this franchise, while there are people who are going to sit there and say, oh, this is the best thing ever, he can't meddle anymore, blah, 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 they don't quite get it. And and I'm telling you right now that Paul Holmgren not being there regularly yeah, is going to be a, a big hole to fill for this franchise that I'm not sure that they will be able to fill, to be honest with you. So I want to go from a uh, former GM to another former GM, and it was uh, news that broke in the, I guess it was the last 48 hours or so, that, uh, you know, the Minnesota Wild chose to uh, to move on from their GM, Paul Fenton, and one of the names that was rumored as somebody who might be in consideration for that position is uh, former Flyers GM, Ron Hextall. I just wanted to get a, an idea from you guys of, of if you think that could be something that would make sense for that team. And if you think that, you know, it, it's pretty well documented that things didn't end on the on the best of terms here um, with him being let go by the, the team that he had said multiple times over was where his heart was. Um, do you think it could be a successful situation? Do you think that it's a, a situation where maybe he, he learns from some of the, the, uh, the things that might not have gone as well here? And can he kind of, you know, fix a, a Minnesota Wild team that, quite frankly, you know, f- I think it was over the weekend there was an article that came out um, where Zach Parise had kind of intimated that there was a chance that, you know, he he could have looked to to try to request a move elsewhere. Do you think Hextall's a guy that could build Minnesota back up? Well, you know, if, if you look at the reasons that Paul Fenton was let go, and a lot of those same reasons... You know, a lot, a lot of the same reasons were things that were said about Hexy here. Uh, on the flip side, I think that Ron is a very reflective guy. He's a bright guy. And even if Paul, in his heart of hearts, didn't feel that, that what was being said about him, you know, as a manager was accurate or fair, I, I think Paul, I, I think Homer, or rather, I think Ron, um, you know, I, I think he's perceptive enough to realize that the, you know, within the organization, you know, the, the perception of, of micromanagement or whatever, you know, the perception becomes reality. And, and I said, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth that's somewhere in, that's in between. And when you don't have good communication and organization, people take with and run with things, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't, and it wasn't just within hockey ops, but within hockey ops, I think one of Ron's mistakes was his circle of trust was probably a little too narrow. Um, you know, so, so there were people who felt a little disenfranchised on the hockey operations side, um, within other departments of the organization, you know, because, I, because people always think on the hockey side, but there's a, there's an entire brand. And one of the things that a good manager has to do, it's not just being a, uh, you know, assistant general manager with more decision-making power. You're also managing within the brand itself. And that was something that was, you know, that was something that actually, Paul Holmgren learned over the years, you have to have an ability to manage up because you have you have bosses as well. You have to be able to interact with other departments in the organization. You know, there's a there's a morale component. There, there's a lot of things that go into being a GM that's not just negotiating contracts and making trades and 
you know, scouting and drafting. And when you are in your first job as a general manager, a lot of these things are, are new things. And, and Paul had been an assistant general manager, uh, which, which encompassed some AHL general manager duties, but that's still a little different than being a manager in the NHL. Uh, I think that uh, you know, some, of these ex- some of these lessons were learned the hard way. I think, I think um, Ron is smart enough that in his next post, and whether it's in Minnesota or not, you know, I, think, I think he will have another opportunity at some point. I, I think Ron will get better at those things. Um, you know, and then, then you look at the hockey side of it. Well, you know, what were the things that Ron was good at? He was good at drafting. He was good at building development infrastructure. And part of that was hiring more development coaches. Um, in Voorhees, there's a state of state of the art um, training center, and and obviously Comcast Spectacor and Paul Holmgren had a big piece of that as well. But I mean, that's something that Ron was fully on board with, um, and it's and you know it's a fantastic facility. Um, Ron was involved in the expansion uh, of analytics in the organization. Um, you know, a lot of forward thinking things. I mean, they hired their full, first full time analytics guy, and they, that that component has expanded the the sports science a lot of stuff that's not really out front and center in the public i mean you know ron ron got and and he understood and i think these are all things that that would help him you know moving forward Um, but it's particularly in philadelphia when you know when you're trying to when you're trying to rebuild but you're not doing a total rebuild you're trying to remain competitive enough to at least be a playoff bubble team and twice they got into the postseason but they got into the postseason, you know, quite frankly, and in all due respect to Ron, with the nucleus that was built, you know, built during Homer's era. It was Claude Giroux, and it was, um, you know, Wayne Simmons much of that time. And um, for, for a period in there, it was, it was Shen. It was, you know, Jake Voracek was a huge piece of it. And, I mean, those, those are all pieces that were put in place before. So, the, you know, Hexy made a decision that he's going to keep those pieces in place. And... You know, he did that. He did that successfully. So, in terms of in terms of the team, was at least on the bubble. But you know, the problem is that okay, you know, they they go four years in, five years in, they're not they're not making you know they're they're not progressing sufficiently. They they went in the last season, coming off of a ninety eight point year. You know, they signed James Van Riemsdyk, and their expectations that uh, they're going to be a better team. They're going to be a team that's over 100 points. You don't have to worry about making the playoffs. And being a team that not only gets to the postseason, but it can actually conceivably win a round without, you know, without, like, without getting insane levels of goaltending. And I think that, that Ron's down, downfall was that um, I think he was so tied into the long-term plan, I'm talking about on the hockey ops side here, that, uh, you know, that, that ownership got impatient, the fan base got impatient, and Ron had his plan. He wasn't going to deviate from it. So if you combine the two elements that, okay, you know, uh, on the uh, a little bit on the people management side, you know, and, and his circle of um, support within the organization was not wide enough, you can, you can maybe live with that if you're winning. But if you combine that with not winning, you, your job is in a lot of jeopardy. So I think, I think there's something that there, there are many things that Ron can build on to be a good general manager. You know, uh, again, some of the things that uh, cost Paul Fenton his job in, in Minnesota were things that were said here uh, of Ron. So uh, if he can, you know, if he can, when he interviews with, with Craig Leopold, and it certainly sounds like that's happening this week, um, you know, say, okay, well, I, I realized, you know, I realized where I went wrong in, in ABCD and 
you know, I have a plan for going forward. I see no reason why Rom couldn't be successful in that situation. Um, that being said, I, I would have thought that Seattle would have been the perfect situation for Midron Francis not been hired. But I, but I do think that a team that's looking to, you know, that, that's that's kind of been able to get to the postseason, not able to advance very far in it. I mean, I, I think it's a, a new kind of challenge for Ron. I think the areas that are his core competencies in terms of building, you know, building farm system and opening long-term cap space. I mean, that, those are all things that Minnesota needs. So, you know, I, I could see him being successful there. there. There's other qualified guys out there as well. But, you know, I think he would be, I think he would be a, a choice with a lot of upside for them. There's some risk, but there's some, there's some upside. Yeah, the one thing I, I have I have to say about it, Bill, is um, I I think Minnesota, while it's the fan base is a different kind of fan base, it's still a passionate hockey fan base, right? So they've been mediocre pretty much their entire existence, either bad or mediocre. I mean, they had a couple of seasons where they reached a conference final, but they still have not made it to the Stanley Cup yet. Um, how how willing do you think that franchise and with that hockey fan base would be for a guy who wants to put a plan in place that's going to take somewhere in the neighborhood of five years, if not longer, probably five. Minnesota's not as bad of a cap situation. It's not great, but it's not as bad as the Flyers were when when uh, Hextall took over here. So let's say five years. Are they willing to to sit there and say, yeah, it's going to take that long to kind of rebuild the system and and turn this around and you know get rid of some bad contracts? Like, I don't know. I, and to me, I almost think that that's an organization that, while he could succeed there, with the with the way he the way he is as a GM, I'm not certain that it's the right fit for where that organization is right now. That's not to say they won't hire him. I still think they may hire him, but I'm not certain it's a good fit at this time. And and I think that I think that's a legitimate concern. You know, um, when when Ron's name was out there a little bit for for Edmonton, and I thought oh, I don't know, I don't know if there's a fit there, just right. because of you know, just because of perennially, I mean, uh, ten out of eleven years being out of the playoffs, and you know, they they seem to be on the rise, and they they took a step back, and. You know, and yes, they have. You know, obviously, they have Connor McDavid, um, might be the best offensive player in the world. You know, and and they're still not progressing, and they have Drysaitel as well. And you know, people people want to people want to win. They want to compete. You know, and and Ron, I don't think Ron's philosophy is going to fundamentally shift. I think he might tweak it a little. I think I think he's going to have to tweak it a little bit. Um, you know, that's part of what I talked about having to to, to be able to manage up in an organization. Just because there are their expectations there as well, they have to sell tickets. They have to keep interest going, and you know you you can sell, you know you can sell a farm system to an extent, but uh, you know I, I think I think after a couple of years that that becomes tougher and tougher to do. So I do I do think Ron needs to make adjustments, and and I'm I'm not positive that Minnesota is the right situation for for him, but I but I do think that uh, you know knowing his work ethic and knowing that uh, you know he, he's, he's a bright hockey guy and a bright hockey guy I do think he's capable of making the adjustments so you know if they do hire him again I see I see upside there but there's definitely risk as well yeah I, and I and I, I think ultimately the best fit for Ron Hextall would be a team that is either ready to break it down and, and start over or a team that's at the very bottom and needs to work its way back up. And I think that that, you know, a team that can afford to give him the time to do what he does well 
as a general manager and turn a team into a contender with great drafting and, and you know, smart um, cap management uh, and the like. I, I just I'm just not certain that that's a, that you know that he goes into a good spot there in Minnesota. I I still think they're going to hire him. I think ultimately he's going to get that job. I'm just not certain that that would be the best case scenario for Ron Hextall. And I say that because I want to see him succeed. I want to see him do well as a GM. We know he did well as an assistant GM in LA. They won two cups. Um, and we kind of thought he was doing the right thing here in Philly, but then kind of hit like a you know really slowed it down and wasn't ready to expedite the the process a little bit. So I, I want to see him do well because if you fail a second time, you may not get a third chance. So that's why I want to see him do well and wherever he goes next. So it should be a spot that has that is more tailor made for him. That's why I, I I almost don't want him to take the Minnesota job. Yeah, and, and yeah, that, that's all, you know, I mean, again, those are all legitimate concerns. I did want to put one other thing out there as well. And I'm not positive that, that if Hexy gets the job, he'll take Chris Pryor with him. But, I mean, Chris Pryor is a Minnesota guy, and, yep. and uh, yep. you know, because, I mean, he's well-ingrained there. Very, such, he's a very well-respected figure around hockey. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't be very, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all that if, that if and when, you know, Ron gets hired there, if, if he takes Sarge with him. And that would be that would be a real nice hire for any organization as as assistant GM. And unfortunately, unfortunately with Chris, you know, here there was collateral damage. You know, Hexy yeah. had such a small circle around him, and, and and Chris as the guy who was closest to him. You know, I mean that that's just how it works a lot of times. But it was you know, I mean everybody everybody really you know admires Chris's hockey knowledge and his work ethic. Well, I'm going to say something that I know you probably can't say, Bill. So I'll say it <laughs> that. Um, when you the way you just phrase it is is the nice way of putting it, but Chris Pryor loses his job as as a Flyers assistant general manager not because Paul Holmgren as president thought hey you need to go, but because above Paul Holmgren the message was clear out all his people we're ch- we're changing everything, so that's what happened and that's why Chris Pryor lost his job unfortunately with this organization. Um, because I think Chris Pryor should have stayed with the Flyers because of because of how well respected he is, uh, and how good he uh, how good he's been as part of the fabric of uh, developing players or finding players uh, in the draft and then and then developing them uh, as they come up through the organization. So that's just I, I know you can't say anything on that. That I'll just throw that out there that I think that that was a decision that was above Paul Holm, above Paul Holmgren as president. So let me let me jump in here really quick. Um... Oh, Russ, I forgot you were still part of the show. Oh, stop. Uh, I, I wonder a little bit if the the book on Hextall about the way that he went about trying to build the Flyers and, and build the farm system, I, I wonder if that is fair to say that that's the only kind of situation that he can thrive in. And I, I understand that you were saying, you know, it's either a team that's looking to build up the farm or, or is really starting from the bottom of the standings. But it's almost like the same kind of argument that gets made in the hypotheticals in NBA circles about like Sam Hinkie and, and the process. Like you don't know for sure that if a guy is put in a different situation that he's not going to be able to, you know, be successful. It's it's not a, a given that the way that he tried to build a team the first way around is the only way that he would know how to to try to, you know, be a successful GM with another TM with with another team. So I, I just wonder if you know, if he's put into a position where he goes into a team that has some star power, 
um, you know, maybe he's not going to look to tear it down. You know, maybe there is a way to work the margins and to get that team into, you know, the second round of the playoffs or to even advance farther. I, I just don't know if it's fair to necessarily say that Hextall's only, you know, a, a guy who can fit one specific mold. We just haven't, there, there's not enough of a track record there to, you know, to say otherwise. Um, I do think that if, if you wanted to go with a retread, there were plenty of others that were on that list um, that, you know, I think there is a bigger track record on, though I would argue that there are a bunch of failures um, in some of those guys' stops. I do want to move on, though, because the the fact that you guys mentioned Chris Pryor and what he could do in terms of working on player development, and of course, you know, he, he was noted on the way out of, of being somebody who was in on a lot of very positive drafts. And so I come around to uh, to our friend Bill here, who watches more film on college and international prospects than uh, than I certainly do. Bill, the the biggest I wouldn't call it a scandal, but maybe the controversy that went around in flyer circles was on draft night, Cole Caulfield, you know, dropping, 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 and the Flyers make a move and and they they draft a defenseman in Cam York, and fans were you know angry because they they look at the the Flyers as it currently stands and and they have, you know, young-ish defensemen who look like they're ready to kind of come into their own. And the question was, you know, how do you pass up on a, an elite scorer and draft another defenseman? Just wanted to get a, a feeling from you, um, from what you've seen before he was drafted and, and now since. What kind of player is Cam York? And do you think that Chuck Fletcher uh, was, was making a move that people weren't, uh, you know, expecting? Well, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, when, when I had to do pre-draft, uh, you know, I had to do, I had to do my own mock draft and I, and incidentally, I, I do those semi under protest just because mock drafts are, you know, uh, it, it, there, there's, there's a guessing game involved and, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't put a ton of stock in them, but I, what I tried to, especially because different organizations have diff, different drafting philosophies, but I, but I personally thought Cam York was the second best defenseman available in this year's draft. Um, I actually had him as the second defenseman off the board. And at the time, the Flyers were, you know, the Flyers were picking 10th. And I believe I had him going one one spot after the Flyers picked. So, you know, he was he was a very viable pick in that range. I, the only thing Cam York doesn't have is he's small. You know, more more and more small defensemen are finding a place in the game today. I mean, ideally, you, you want to, you know, you want to have size plus skill. York is a very talented hockey player. Uh, I, I think his upside is to be a, a power play quarterback, possibly even a first unit guy. Um, really solid defensively, you know, particularly for a guy who's known more, you know, knows an offense and defense when he can take care of business in his own end. Has really good wheels, very, very poised out there. I mean, if you look at that, that U.S. national development team program, um, I believe six of their defensemen were drafted this year, among the 17 players on that team that were drafted. Well, York could York could play at the pace of the fastest guys on the team. You know, he could set the pace actually out there. So, you know, first of all, when you're develop, you know, when, when you're looking at an organization, I am a believer in taking the best available player. And there certainly was a strong case to be made for Caulfield. I think I think despite being how small he is, he's going to be a guy like a Johnny Goudreau or a, or Danny Briere. You know, one of those guys whose size doesn't even matter because he is going to score in the NHL. Now, in terms of where 
teams rank players. First of all, no player as small as, as Caulfield. And I'm not saying it's right, but it's just, just a fact. No player as small as Caulfield had ever been drafted in the top 13 or 14 picks of the draft. Um, him going 15th was, was actually a, a bit of history. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think, I think it, it's one thing to talk the talk about, you know, okay, well, we're not going to, the size isn't going to enter into it and we're not going to steer away from just because of it. But you add into the fact that teams tend to have a preference, particularly in the first round, of drafting centers and defensemen, strength down the middle. That still is that still is believed to be the best model of success of how you build how you build an organization, and then you round out on the wings, and obviously goaltending too being the big piece of it. But goalies are such a crapshoot in draft that uh, you know that that it's a rare goalie. Spencer Knight this year was the kind of rare goalie who was a an obvious first round pick. But you know, in, in most drafts in, in recent years, teams tend to steer away from a goalie in the first round. And you see, the, I mean, the Flyers got Carter Hart in the second round, and, and that's that's been working out very well so far. So hopefully that piece of the puzzle is there. But if you look, you know, you, you always have to have prospects coming up through the system. The Flyers, um, for a while there, were drafting a lot of defensemen early, you know, when they go back to where you know, they took Provorov in the first round, and they took, um, you know, before that, Sam Moran in the first round, they took Robert Haig in the second round. But after, after taking Provorov, and, and of course Sanheim in 2014 as well, after that, after that Provorov pick in 2015, Flyers have been drafting forwards at the top of the draft most years. You know, German Rubtsov, um, uh, Nolan Patrick, Morgan Frost, Joel Farabee, Jay O'Brien. So, you know, most of the guys who'd come up through the system, the better defensive prospects, are already in the NHL. Or a guy like, like Phil Myers, who wasn't drafted, he was a free agent, but he's already on the cusp of an NHL spot. And beyond, below that, you had a couple guys who maybe might make it, maybe won't make it, but no real top-end guys. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's definitely a, a line of logic to, to bring a guy like Cam York into the system. I'm not saying Cam York is going to be a superstar, he's going to be an all-star, he's going to be a number one defenseman. I'm, I'm strictly saying that in terms of his tools and his, his hockey sense, which are things that you can't teach, he was a very viable pick at 14th. And also, by, by virtue of moving down a couple of spots, the Flyers were able to trade back into the second round after having traded a second round pick to get Justin Braun, you know, much to many people's consternation because he's an unrestricted free agent in a year. And if, if you want, we can go into some of the guys that they acquired this offseason. But the Flyers were traded back into the second round, and then they were actually even to trade up from there to draft Bobby Brink. And Brink actually has a lot of qualities that are similar to Caulfield, and I don't think he's going to be a goal scorer that Caulfield is, but I think he's a guy who can put up some points and can play in the NHL, and you know he's more of a playmaking type, another another you know another mighty might type of a player. And I think I think there's upside there as well. So you get the combination of, of York and Brink. You know, I, I mean, I, I see a line of reasoning there, but by the same token, I, I think that Cole Caulfield is a tremendous young hockey player, and I do think he's going to put up points in the NHL. Yeah, Overall, knowing that... knowing what you know, if you had to assign a letter grade to what Chuck Fletcher did in his first draft as the the GM of this team, where would you uh, where would you rank it? I, I mean, I, I, I don't believe in ranking a draft that, that soon thereafter because you don't know who's going to take off in their draft plus one, who's going to, you know, who's going to play some collegiate hockey. You just, it, it's hard to tell. I, I think you really, 
you really can't rate a draft until minimum three years, and then three to five, yeah, yeah three to five, and then 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 you have a much clearer picture. Um, I, I like what they did with the first couple picks, and then after that, you're you're basically looking at drafting one of two ways. You, you're you're drafting, you know, you're drafting projects, um, you know, like like Ronnie uh, Ronnie Tard. That that's a guy who kind of huge kid put up put up huge numbers in, as an overager, but huge numbers in the USHL, going to play collegiate hockey, so you have some time to look at them. You know, and everybody everybody drafted thereafter. They actually drafted some guys who have some upside, but they have question marks as well. Um, you know, the, the other way to go, too, is, and if you remember if you remember the, uh, the, the big fuss over when the Flyers drafted Terrell Goldborn in the third round, which incidentally was too early to draft them. But, you know, there, there, you're, there you're looking at, okay, there's a guy who has a 50-50 shot of playing in the NHL, but the, the ceiling on him is going to be a fourth-line guy, right? Now, maybe the odds are lower on some of these other picks, but if, if you hit on a couple of them, they might be better players in the league. So, I mean, I, I, I think there was, you know, I think most of the picks uh, they, they took this year are guys who have a chance to play. Um, will they or won't they? Let, well, let's revisit that one, you know, a year down the road and then two years down the road is to see, you know, who's advancing to the pro level and, and, and you know, that kind of thing. Um, I want, one thing that I do want to point out is that the Flyers in the last few years have gone very heavily towards the collegiate route and de-emphasized the Canadian major junior levels. Um, part of the reason, not, not the primary reason, the only reason is when you draft a guy from the CHL, you have two years to assess him and decide this, whether to sign him or not. And that's usually easy with the first-round picks. You know, but with the collegiate guys, you get you get a little longer to look at them. You have in some cases up to even five years. So particularly in later rounds, I, I do believe in drafting guys from, you know, from Europe and from the collegiate ranks if if it's close. If you have a guy you clearly like from the CHL, then by all means take him. But I but I do like that 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 they have a little longer to look at a lot of these guys. And you know, a couple of years down the road, look look at what for example what Noah Cates has done in the two years since he's been drafted. He looks like a viable NHL prospect now, whereas. You know, he was he was a late round guy a couple of years ago, a high school kid from Minnesota who ha- had to work in his skating, had to get a lot stronger, uh, and now he looks like a you know one of those spark plug guys you can plug in lots of different places in your lineup. And I think he's going to have an NHL career ahead of him. That's why you really can't judge it right after a draft. You have to look you know a couple of years down the road. Anthony, I, I, you were trying to jump in a little bit ago. Was there anything that you wanted to add there? No, that's all right, Rush. You just take over the show. It's fine. Thanks. Oh, okay. Well, you know. It's what I do. Um, all right. So, Bill, you'd mentioned a, a little bit ago that uh, you, you brought up Braun and said about, you know, some of the, the acquisitions that the team made in free agency this year and via trade. Um, aside from the, the Kevin Hayes contract, which I will still stand by, was it an overpay in terms of annual value in, in years? Can you give the folks at home a, an idea of what exactly you think they can expect from Kevin Hayes this year? Yeah, uh, I, I think I think Kevin Hayes' value is in, on on three levels. Okay, uh, he's he's a good two way player. So you know they're they're trying to build strength down the middle. The number one goal heading into the season, and I'm going to carry this through to the other guys as well. The number one thing, and I know everybody wants scoring. The number one objective for this team this year is cut their goals against significantly. If you look league-wide this this past season, the teams that were ranked 21st to 31st in goals against average, I believe Flyers are 29th, every team in that bottom 10 missed the playoffs. 
Um, you know, offensively, you can be a middle of the pack team. I think 18th was a little disappointing for where the, where, where the Flyers were in offensively, but they were only five goals away over 82 games from being 13th. And the power play was, you know, uh, had a really disappointing year. They were within 10 goals total of being ranking in the top 11 in the league. So that's, that's, that's certainly sufficient goals you know, to, to be a playoff team. I mean, the team that won the Cup this year was smack dab in the middle of the league offensively in the regular season. So cutting goals against average is the number one thing. And it starts with strength down the middle. So so adding a two-way player like Kevin Hayes to a Selkie candidate like Sean Couturier and an emerging two-way player in, in, in Nolan Patrick and then, you know, and then Scott Lawton centering the fourth line, that's a pretty good group of four down the middle in terms of two-way play. The second thing Kevin Hayes is, is good at is he's a guy who is hard to take off the puck. So, you know, you, you spend a pretty good amount of time with the puck. Um, he is a good playmaker, very clever passer. Um, talk to guys who played against him, and they hate playing against him because he's, he's strong and, he, and he's a smart player. Um, goal scoring, he's not a, he's not a high-level goal scorer. You know, if he gets you 20, that's a, that's a good year from him. Um, if he gets in the neighborhood of 20, that's okay. But, uh, you know, he's, he's more of, he's more of a setup guy than a goal scorer. Um, he's a guy who can help, help out in the penalty kill. The Flyers certainly need help in that area. So I think that, I think if you look at those things, though, those are, you know, two way play, playmaking ability and, and adding to the overall depth of the group are, are the primary things he brings. But I'll, I'll add another thing as well that he brings. He gets uh, he gets Nolan Patrick into more favorable matchups in, in in the lineup. When you look at last season, when the Flyers for a while moved Claude Giroux back to center, well, that wasn't really done for Giroux's benefit, and actually it worked to his detriment because Giroux, you know, Giroux took a bit of a downturn when he moved back to center, and uh, you know that wasn't his best part of the season by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but what it did do was it got Nolan Patrick into a into more of a third line role when they put Couturier on another line. And what did Patrick do? That was his best stretch of the season. He had a stretch of, uh, I believe it's 12 points over a 13 game stretch. And he tailed off again after that, but you saw, you know, you saw some of what he's capable of. Well, I think if you end up in a situation where there's less pressure on him, where he's, where he's ending up in more favorable matchups that will never show up in Kevin Hayes' stats, but may show up in Patrick's stats. Those those are all those are all things that I think that Kevin Hayes could bring. Um, is it an overpay in, in in term and in cap hit? Yeah, it is. But you were looking at essentially an unrestricted free agent situation where you weren't going to get any kind of a hometown discount. And you know if you're you're going to pay one way, you're going to pay another way. Well, they paid they paid unrestricted free agent prices for, and that's all that always entails an overpay. So, you know you you live with it. Is it an overpay? Yes, it is. But I think, it, but I think if he adds to, he, if he adds to the picture up front, what are the things that I was talking about, then I think at least uh, you know for the next few years that that have, you know that it was a worthwhile move. Yeah, and I, and I don't think you're wrong, Bill. I think that it was a, that was actually a really good assessment of uh, of Kevin Hayes and what he's going to bring to the team. I, I just worry that the fact is, as you pointed as you pointed out, that there offense was just yeah, middle of the pack last year could have been you know it was close to being a little bit better but um still was middle of the pack um 
that if the if you go out and get a guy that's going to play on your second line as your second line center and he's not a big offensive upgrade i mean i guess he is i mean i guess he's an upgrade over nolan patrick as a second line center offensively but he's still not he's he's not a guy who puts up a ton a ton a ton of points uh, I, I think that the the frustration that we are setting ourselves up for is okay. The team's going to be better defensively, be more low scoring games, have a better chance to win a few games, and that's good. That's that's all. Those are all positives. But how frustrating is going to be when they are losing games two to one, or or three to two, and they can't get that last goal because the same guys are the only guys that score for them every year. So that was my one concern with with Kevin Hayes because what ends up happening is I don't mind that you go get him but I I'm my worry is is that he doesn't fill the role that you really really need he maybe makes Nolan Patrick better I think that's a hope I think that you're we're, we're hoping that Nolan Patrick can can be that for a full season but he's he's been very inconsistent over his first two NHL seasons, so there's no guarantee that that's going to be the case over the full 82 games. So without that, you, you're really lacking a lot of scoring down the middle. They're definitely better defensively down the middle. There's no doubt about that, and I think Hayes will help the second power play, which is you know not had, was was non-existent last year, and he kills penalties. So th- he does have benefits. So I'm not saying it's a bad signing. I just wonder that if the, if there would have been a different angle that they could have approached this at to maybe add a little scoring but still have some of that, you know, those intangibles or those other things that Kevin Hayes brings to the table to make the team better. And, and I think those are all, you know, those are all legitimate points. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, they don't really have other than other – than, Really, two guys. You know, I, Sean Couturier's done in back-to-back years, and JVR has been a thirty-goal scorer. They don't really have thirty-goal guys on the team. What they're what they're counting on is a bunch of guys who can score around twenty. I, I think you know. I think they'd like to see Oscar Lindblom be a guy who scores in the twenties this season. And uh, you know, he, he really came on. He really came on once his role was increased. He finished with sixteen of them. That's not a, that's not a big jump in your second full NHL season to get there. You know, if you if you look, it's, it's funny. I, I had a conversation on on Twitter with somebody who said, "Well, twenty goal scorers are a dime a dozen." If you look around the league, I think there was one hundred twenty two of them. I said, "Yeah, but that's over thirty one teams, and so it averages out to less, you know, about three point nine per team." Well, the Flyers have maybe five six guys that can score twenty plus goals in the team. There is depth there, and there's you know, you also had down seasons from two defensemen they were counting on for for points. You know, Ghost especially, but also Provorov as well. Provorov had a just had a had a down year this past year. I don't think everybody was expecting another 17 goal year from him, but I think people were expecting 10, and that was realistic. And you know, Ghost didn't hit double digits either, and Sanheim almost did. He, he got got kind of robbed of a goal in uh, you know in that overtime game in uh, against Toronto. That would have got him to double digits. But there's the guy who you know they're looking to step up to being a, a double digit goal scoring guy. So. So they're they're not going to do it by by having the Alex Ovechkins and the guys who are going to you know who are going to go out and get you, you know, thirty five goals, forty goals or more. They're gonna ha- they're gonna have to do it by depth of guys who get you double digits, twenty something goals, and 
you know, having different lines that can contribute on different nights. Is, would it be would it be wonderful to have a, a really top end sniper? Of course it would. Of course it would. And there's there's no guarantee they're going to get that kind of depth that I was talking about. But there are you know, but there but there are realistic scenarios where they could do that. So, you know, I I think that um, again going into the summer, to me a bigger priority was cutting cutting the goals against and uh, improving improving the penalty killing side of it over a full season. They they showed improvement over the final. Three quarters, particularly the, the second half of last season, but it's your whole season number that counts. If you're, you know, if you're under seventy percent for the first quarter, you're spending the rest of the year trying to pull the numbers back up again. You know, so yeah. you know that 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 killed them a lot with goaltending in the first in the first part of last season. So, you know, I, I look at those areas as, as the biggest priorities. And yeah, I mean, would would it be great to to finish in the top five, top ten offensively? Yeah, absolutely, because you know, obviously, that that takes a lot of pressure off off of trying to win those two to one games all the time. But uh, you know, but I but I do think I do think there's enough firepower there to be a to be a playoff caliber team. Uh, to me, to me, the bigger pieces that have to come together are on that other side, right? Carter Hart has to continue to develop. The veteran defensemen have to bounce back to some degree to the levels they've played at for most of their career. Provorov has to be the defenseman that they expect him to be. Has to be signed first, of course, you know. And and you need you know Travis Sanheim has to continue to develop. To me, those areas are the areas where where there's a little bit a little bit more that has to come together. So that's the areas that I'm personally focused on. Well, you addressed you know one of the elephants in the room, and it's the thing that you know people are currently picketing outside of Skate Zone and Voorhees right now. Uh, if the live images are to be believed, there are thousands of people right now standing outside with pitchforks and flames. Provorov is is unsigned, and one of the guys that I have to assume you know you consider to be one of these depth guys that could potentially score twenty goals is Travis Konechny. He's also unsigned. I, I can't imagine a scenario where Konechny holds out all that long. It, it feels like they're just waiting for the market to kind of set itself. But the the Provorov side of things to me is. It's not a full concern, but knowing that throughout the season there were murmurs that he and his agent were hoping to to get a salary somewhere in the vicinity of ten million dollars annually, and and that could just be posturing. Hopefully, it is. But knowing that, and and knowing that he was coming off of an up and down season, a real roller coaster of of a season, yeah, it feels like there is a possibility that this thing could drag on longer than the Flyers might want it to. Not saying that you have a Nylander situation coming up. But just knowing that he's unsigned and he's supposed to be your number one defenseman, I wanted to get a, a feeling from both of you now, because Anthony and I have talked about this, but the fact that it's it's gone on another two weeks since he and I last spoke. But, you know, is it a concern to you guys? We could talk about Konechny, but I think Provorov is probably the bigger issue here. Should the team be concerned? And I guess the, the second part of that is, do you think that the additions of Niskanen and Braun, if God forbid, you know, you enter the season and Provorov's not with the team, you know, are, are they good enough to bridge that gap until he gets signed? Well, I, I, and it's not just getting him signed. If you go into the season without him signed, you know, then he's missed all of camp. I mean, it's, it's a bad situation. It's a bad situation for the team. It's a bad situation for the player. The player is playing catch up for, you know, Maybe maybe half a season. I mean, that would that would be a bad thing for Provorov as well as as well as for the team. I'm not. I wouldn't get concerned truly until you know if we're still talking about this after Labor Day. Then then I would start to get a little nervous about it. You know, you, you have 
I think I think it's uh, really three players and, and their agents and their teams. You know, Charlie McAvoy, Zach Wierenski, and Provorov are all waiting for someone to set the market. You know, uh, now Provorov's agent, Mark Gandler, is by reputation the most aggressive of the three of, of those three players' agents, and maybe one of the most aggressive in the entire NHL. Um, you know, he's uh, you know he drives a very hard bargain, and I mean, Provorov has led the team in ice time every season of his of his career to date. And I know some people said, "Well, what was this competition?" Well, that's that's not their concern. <laughs> their concern is you know that that's on the GM. <laughs> they're they're where they can point out said he's already had a 17 goal season. He's already led the team in ice time in you know, three years. He's he tied for the NHL goal scoring league among defensemen. All all those kind of things. He had he had a down season this past year. Um, I, I don't I don't know their price ranges of the ten million mark, but I wouldn't be surprised if if his price tag for you know and, and I and I think a, a few things need to be said also about how about how contracts get structured in term and cap hit um, after a guy is done his entry level deal. Uh, Provorov is not yet uh, arbitration eligible. After I don't know one more season out, he would be. The the ideal bridge. Uh, bridge contract is really two years, because then when you get three years out, not only is the arbitration eligible, then he's a year away from unrestricted free agency. You don't want a four-year deal because that then at the end of that he's in a, he's unrestricted. That walks him right to the door of being unrestricted. And anything beyond that, then you're buying out years of unrestricted free agency, and the price points go up and up and up and up by how long you sign them, by how by how long you sign them for. So you know when, when we're talking we're talking about Pricing levels. Uh, if you're buying out years of unrestricted free agency, then you're probably looking at what Florida gave uh, Aaron Ekblad uh, when he was done his entry level deal, and that that's something north of eight million dollars. Um, I think that's particularly coming off of a down year, is higher than the Flyers would want to go. That's a very aggressive contract that that would set the market, and you know that would that would escalate whatever McAvoy and and Marinsky get. I don't think the Flyers necessarily want to go there. Um, but I think that's you know the, I don't I don't see where the Provorov side would have a would have an urge to to budge off of it until you know until there's a, a market price set who who's to say he isn't worth that compared to what the other guys would get right the Flyers price point to me where what I would come in at and I don't have any you know any inside knowledge of it it's not as though Chuck calls me up and said here's what we offered but if you look at what Seth Jones got. The long-term deal, and actually, Seth Jones is now quite underpaid in in uh, Columbus relative to what his value is there. But I mean, you know, but Jones, after his entry-level deal, signed a multi, you know, long-term deal in the five million dollar range. Now, Jones had some ups and downs during his uh, during his entry-level years. You know, in, in in Nashville, he wasn't the number one guy quite yet. Uh, his first year in in Columbus, he had some injury issues. And he again, he was you know he so he didn't have as much leverage, potentially. But you know, but everybody knew what his upside was, and he, and he's a bargain for Columbus right now. So I, I think that might be about what his his bridge deal price point might be. And but but they're just waiting. And what concerns me is you know, who's going to make the first move here? Is it going to be Boston? Is it going to be Columbus? Or is it going to be the Flyers? Once one of them signs, I think the the other two will start to fall in place. But it's been it's been a stalemate. I don't think there's been movement on any of those three players so far. 
And at a certain point, the Flyers can't can't worry about what you know the other teams are doing. They're going to have to make their own deal. So, you know, I I think there is potential for this to be one that, that drags into a situation where you might be a little bit nervous about camp. But I think uh, I think on July 31st, you know, you saw you saw some time yet before you're really getting down to uh, you know something needs to get done here before it drags on into camp. And to answer your to answer your initial question and. It, that uh, is there enough with Braun and Niskin? And if you don't have, if you don't have Provorov, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, you know, I, I think the outlook changes considerably for the worse. Unfortunately, that uh, you know, I, I think the Provorov camp knows that the the KHL is not a threat, but they they know how they know what Provorov means to the organization. They know what they're counting on, you know, from him. They they, they know the number of minutes he's going to be penciled into play, and, and therefore you know, therefore it's a really big important deal on both sides and uh you know i think ultimately they may go something shorter term and revisit it with with uh you know maybe looking at an arbitration kind of situation but i i don't i don't see it ending imminently i think it's going to go on for some more weeks to come yeah i i, I have a concern bill because i have a feeling that this was something that was bothering provorov a little bit last year i think he was worried about how he was going to play leading into his restricted free agency, which would lead into his next contract. I think it means more to him than, well, I shouldn't say it means more to him than any other player. I mean, obviously every player is worried about their contract and wants to make as much money as, as possible. But this, this just seemed to be something that, that Ivan Provorov was really focused on a lot. And I think it, I think part of the reason that he had what we call a down year last season may have been clouded by this a little bit and and that and that concerns me because it tells me that this is a this is something that this is a hill that he might be willing to die on a little bit and I don't mean completely that he's going to just sit out the season or anything but I certainly see this as something that that maybe he would be willing to drag into September and into the start of camp and then yeah maybe something gets done I don't think he's missing any regular season because of it but you know, all of a sudden now you're a few weeks behind the rest of your teammates and and it takes a little bit of time to catch up. And, and this team can't afford another slow start. They just can't. Under In no way, shape, or form can they afford a slow start coming off of the turmoil of last season. So I, I think that there's something there that could prevent this from getting done in time. And you're right. There's plenty of time. There's still six weeks left before camp, so a lot can happen in the next six weeks. But there's there's a little part of me that thinks Ivan Provorov may not be there day one of training camp, and and that would be something that would be really interesting uh, from a from an outside perspective, but could very well be di- very distracting from the inside. Sure, and, and you know, adding to that fact, you have a new coaching staff, a new system. You know, it's uh, you know, a, a lot of things to install, of which he's he's a crucial piece. You know, I mean, the, the player has a little power here too, though. You know, I, and uh, you know, as much as say Mark Gandler, Mark Gandler, Mark Gandler. Well, you know, he he has to he has to make his client happy too. If Provorov says to him, "Get something done," and you know, then then even if you know, even if you're looking at a, a two year kind of situation, I don't think anybody wants a one year where you're. Looking at arbitration a year from now, and it's the same thing going into the next summer. I think you're looking at two years. You know, 
I don't think yeah, three years if you have to, but then then you're looking at being unrestricted a year down the road, and then it, that's a whole other, you know, that's a whole other, uh, you know, whole other situation. I, I think you're looking either two years or, or long term, because I don't think the Flyers all again. I don't think the Flyers want to walk them to unrestricted free agency. So there are, there was a whole lot of things to work through and. You know, in that, and yeah, I mean, there there is a you know there is a risk of all that happening, and, and yes, if you open camp and Provorov is not there the first day of camp, you know, I mean, I, I think it'd be foolish to say it's not a concern if, if it gets to that. But I, but on, on the, by the same token, I don't want to you know I don't want to jump to saying, you know, it's that's where things are are heading here. But I, but it wouldn't surprise me if it comes down to an eleventh hour kind of thing, and you know, <laughs> and, and something gets done, you know. Maybe maybe before the start of the exhibition season or, or whatever it is, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I think I think there'll be a lot of sighs of relief probably in probably in both camps if this gets done sooner than later. But I just I just don't see that happening in the next week or two. Guys, hey, there's Ross. an easy solution. We just uh, flip Ivan Provorov to Tampa Bay for Braden Point. We all go oh, home yeah. happy. Uh, here we go. I'm just kidding. You're, I'm just kidding. Ridiculous. Just hey, kidding. Hey, hey Russ, we we're about an hour into the program. Why don't we uh, get to some fan questions for Bill? Uh, before we wrap this thing up because i have a million other questions okay fine uh bill leonard over on twitter says hello russ shalom uh all-star lineup with uh aunt bill and you well i think there's two all-stars here we know which one doesn't fit that <clears throat> san filippo who do you guys uh, expect to be the camp standouts with the best shot to make the flyers roster Farabee, frost rubsov second question pitlick's chance to make the top 12 thanks and have a great show who wants to field it? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go first. I think Pitlick is absolutely in the top 12, might even be in the top nine. Uh, has to stay healthy. Uh, that's That's been the biggest thing with, with Pitlick. Um, you know, he's had a, had a torn ACL, and then this past season he had wrist surgery. You know, I, I, I've been able to see him play quite a bit with Dallas. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if all, you know, everyone here knows, but when the Flyers are on the road, at least at least for now, my, my – uh, my home is in, in Texas and I'm up in Philly for most of hockey season, but when the Flyers are on long road trips, I'm back in the Dallas area. So I do see the Stars play quite a bit, um, and I, I've seen a bit of you know quite a bit of Pitlick play. I mean, he's he's absolutely going to be in the top 12. I don't have a doubt about that. I would prefer him on the fourth line to the third. If he, if he is in your third line, you know, I could live with it. Uh, good skater, you know, very good forechecking guy, Another, you know, pretty decent Pretty decent two-way forward. Uh, again, his biggest thing has been staying healthy. He's not going to score you a ton of goals, but he could get you, you know, he could get you 10 to 14. He already had a 14-goal year. So, you know, I, I think he's definitely in your top 12. Uh, you know, I, I thought that in terms of the young players, I, I thought Chuck Fletcher, you know, laid it out uh, a couple of times at the start of the offseason. He doesn't necessarily see any of the young guys making it this year he's, you know he said uh, he said that i don't want to determine roster spots in uh, april may june whatever you know whatever it was at the time they said it but uh you know but his feeling was that these guys are going to need a little bit of time in the american hockey league i mean each, each case is different um rubtsov you know moved missed most of last season i think he, i think he is a dark horse strictly because uh, you know he I, I I think that the organization likes him better at center than on wing. He seems more comfortable at center on wing than wing, but he's a good two-way player, a, a smart player. You know, he even has some offensive upside to him as well. Um, but you know, I, there's a guy who can play in your bottom six and, and might be ready relatively soon. 
Um, and you also have the option of, okay, you know, maybe you move Lawton back to wing and Rubsov's your fourth-line center. I mean, there, there are some scenarios where he could be a guy who steps right into camp and has a great camp and, and gets a job. Um, I, yeah, I'm good, 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 Anthony. Then, then I'll... Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was going to say um, I agree with you on Pitlick completely, and I think that you're spot on with the young guys. Like, I don't think the young guys are going to make the team. Um, but when I say that, I mean the top-end young guys. Uh, I, I think that there's a real chance, Bill, of uh, of younger players who maybe have got had a cup of coffee in the NHL or, or, or the like who could could steal that last spot on the roster or if they carry you know the extra the extra winger, the um, 13th guy, 13th forward. I think guys like, that we saw a little bit of last year might have a better chance like a guy like Nick Kubel or a guy like um, uh, Misha Vorobiev, I think those guys have a better chance of, you know, taking a roster spot to start the season than than any of the, you know, Frost, Farabee, Ratcliffe, you know, Rupsoff collection. Although, like you said, Rupsoff at least has shown, and not just last year, I mean, in the beginning of last year, I mean, I missed most of the year last year, but, but when he was in junior they were a little disappointed that he was actually playing down. He was playing on like their third line. He was playing like a two-way defensive role. They wanted to see him scoring more, but but I'll tell you what, that kind of experience at uh, in the queue was was really integral to him becoming a good two-way player. So I do think that 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 gives him an uh, a leg up maybe over the other prospects to being the first one to reach the NHL. I just don't think it happens right out of camp. Yeah, no, and I agree. And uh, Baker Bell also you have uh you have waiver considerations, and he's not going to be kept on the NHL roster just to avoid putting him on waivers. But I mean, it, you know, but if he has a if he has a decent camp, and you know, another guy is uh, still waiver exempt, and, and he's not, then you know, he might he might be a guy who who cracks the NHL roster this year. You know, he's had three years in the American League, which is about most you know about the most development you're going to get out of a kid at that level. So he's either going to be ready or he's not going to be ready. Um, yeah, Vorobiev is a guy we we could talk about, uh, you know, maybe maybe in a future thing because he's kind of a, he's an interesting he's an interesting prospect. Um, he he's another guy who has you know has some two way upside. There there are question marks about him about his compete level, those kind of things that really they that went public last year, but actually predated that 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 were mentioned about him a little bit during his during his rookie season with the Phantoms. I think these are consistency, those kind of things. He still has to answer. He had a great camp last last year with the Flyers. Actually, you know, opened the season on, as a third line center, um, and then kind of you know fell off the map from there and had some injury issues of his own. But I but I but I do think it is going to be one of those those older you know one of the older prospects who, who's been pro for a couple of years already at the American League level. Those would be the guys. Frost still has you know Frost is probably going to have to make a transition from from center to wing to play at the NHL level. That's going to take a little bit of time. The biggest thing with Morgan, uh, he's he's actually a tremendous skater, but he doesn't always move his feet. Um, you know, he's a guy who will sometimes stop skating, and at the the junior level, he could just dictate it. I mean, he could stop and then you know make a play. You can't really do that very well at the NHL level. When when Morgan has his feet going, and that's that's going to be something that Scott Gordon is going to harp on him constantly about. He's going to be very effective. But I but I think there's a little bit of transition to make with him. And Joel Farabee, um, he's slide rule eligible this year in the American League, which means that if he doesn't play 10 games in the NHL, his entire uh, entry-level contract is still valid all three years. 
So it's almost a free year of development for him in the American League. He's still only 19, and he still is um, you know, only carrying about 170 pounds on his frame. I think they would like to see him, you know, see, see him go through the rigors of, a, of the pro level. Now, if he just aces it in the first half of a season, maybe, you know, maybe. And then, or maybe a guy like Frost could change it. But I, but I totally agree with you, Anthony, that coming out of camp, I don't see any of those guys making it. And also, also add Isaac Ratcliffe into that group that I don't see making it immediately. But as a guy for the longer term, they, they, you know, they're excited about. So we've got a Benjamin Molesky who brings up something that I've seen kind of floating around Flyers Twitter recently. And I, I can't totally put my finger on why this is a, a thought that Farabee would be a potential candidate. And, and Benjamin's question really, Bill, is are there any, is there any kind of a merit to the idea of putting Farabee or one of these other young kids on the top line and shifting Konechny down in, you know, down to the second or third line, like they experimented with later in the season? No, I don't, I don't see that happening at all. I, I think that, uh, you know, if it, the players, do make the roster. They're gonna they're gonna start a little lower in the lineup, um, get used to the league, and you know there's there's a, there's a lot of adjustments to make to the pro level. Um, even a, even guys who are considered good two way players at lower levels, you know uh, there are definitely adjustments to make because you're playing against bigger, stronger, you know bigger, stronger players. It's uh, you know it, it's not as easy it's not as easy as as, as you think it is sometimes and. You know, even the offensive side, you have to discover what works for you, what doesn't work. That's a lot of pressure to to put a to put a kid right on right on the top line with the expectations of production that that carries with it. So I I don't see that as realistic. No. Yeah, not only not only that, Russ. What you you what you have here is, you know, these were players that were drafted. You know, they're they're quality NHL prospects, but they were drafted a little later in the first round, right? So they they they're not your can't miss top of the top of the first round, come in and play at 18 years old kind of players who you could just throw in and expect them to, you know, excel at the NHL level. There there is a reason that they went, you know, in the middle to the bottom of the round and the, and, and that's because it's going to take them a little bit more time to develop. So if you do put them in the NHL, you, Bill's right. You got to give. You got to put them in situations that make sense. Don't put them up against the best competition. You want to get them out there. You know, offensive zone draw against the third pair defense or the fourth line of the other team. Really, kind of limit uh, their usage until they kind of you know get their feet under them at the NHL level. So, no, I don't think that's a realistic possibility either. Uh, Befreckled twenty nineteen asked the question, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but just to get a little clarification here because we talked about Hayes and, and Patrick and, and what that can do down the middle. Um, the Freckle 2019 asks, what do you guys expect from Nolan Patrick this season? I would per, I mean, what do I expect from him? Uh, I mean, he has to continue. He has to continue to get better. He can't have these, these long droughts. He can't have you know, numerous games at a time where you don't even notice him out there. The defensive side of his game, as uh, you know, which was which was pretty good coming into the league, but I mean that that's that's continued to get better. He, he you know there's still room for further growth there. I really I really want to see more consistency out of him. You know I I think that he's a guy who uh, in his third season should take a little you know should take a little bit of a, a jump in his numbers. And I I'll also tell you something that I would personally like to see from him. I would like to see him playing net front on the power play. I know, I know that Nolan likes to play, you know, likes likes to be a setup guy, 
Uh, likes to play the half wall. Even likes to set up from behind the net. The most effective I've seen him in, in, on special teams has been when they tried him net front. He, you know, he's he's a big guy with good hands around the net, and you know that's a role where I think he, he could pot some power play goals. I mean, for a little while, uh, towards the latter part of his first season, he was scoring a little bit, and you know took over Wayne Simmons' spot for a little bit. So you know that's something I would I would like to see them try with him. Um, you know whether that's where Michelle Tarion wants to go with it or not, I don't know. But I, you know, but I, but I just want to see him. I, I don't want to see the long stretches of play where you, you know, where he's ineffective or you hardly notice him. You know, there's still going to be ups and downs over the course of a season. But I, you know, and I'm not going to put numbers to it. But I, I want to see, I want to see it jump up. You know, at least, at least a dozen more points, five more goals, that kind of thing. Where you go, okay, you know, he, he's taking that next step. And listen, I mean, you know, not everybody develops quite the same rate. It took Sean Couturier a while to figure out what worked for him offensively in the league. You know, I, I think Patrick will, will get there, but I'd like to see them get there a little bit quicker. You know what I'd like to see out of him a little bit? I'd like to see him be a little bit more a, l- a little bit more intense on, on the ice. A little bit more, I don't know, I, I hate using words like grit and sandpaper and, and snarl. Like, that's such an old old-timey thing. But I definitely want to see a little bit more of a uh, of a of an attitude on the ice from You'd him. You'd like I, to see him become a bit of a a Broad Street bully, perhaps. No, I know. You know who I'd no, like I'm to see kidding. him be like on the ice a little bit more? Konechny. I'd like to see a little Travis Konechny and Nolan Patrick. Is that too much to ask? I'm not saying he has to be exactly like him. I just want to see a little bit more of that because I think that there have been there have been flashes that when you see him play the game with with, with that attitude, like you ain't stopping me. You know, I, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to score a goal. I'm going to be faster than you to the puck and create and make something happen. He he's looks good, but I don't see enough of that. I think that he kind of gets himself. He kind of you know blends into the to the advertisements on the boards a little bit too much for me, and that's what I want to see a little bit more of him. I think if he brings that to his game, I think you'll get what the what the production bills looking from him about a dozen more points and about five more goals. I think you will see that from him if he's got a little bit better uh, on ice attitude. Uh, we have a bunch of questions here. I'm so I'm gonna let's let's try to keep this as a uh, a lightning round, I guess. Okay, Are you guys ready? Go ahead. Yeah. All right, Andrew. Wait, 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 Andrew wait, 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 wait Ross. Left, do you left. want us to alternate? I don't care. Live your life. You guys just <laughs> you guys just throw stuff out there. I'm I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> okay. Andrew Widmeyer uh, asks, who do you think of the kids, excluding Carter Hart, is the most likely to have a breakout season? I, I'll go. I, I would. I would say Travis Sam. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's a. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I would. I, well, yeah, but he had it. I was going to say the same thing, but but he had one. He had one last year, right? Yeah. I. I think there's still. I think there's still another level to him. Uh, and it, it's a okay. consistency thing. You know, I, I think there were periods of the season where Travis really looked like a like a high end guy, but there were also situations. I thought down the stretch, for example, he could have been. He could have been better. I'd, I'd like to see Travis be. You know. Uh, a guy who scores you a dozen goals gets you forty-five points, you know, and then some of that's going to, you know, that's going to depend on power play time if he is in second unit or whatnot. But but I, I'd like to see I'd like to see Travis continue to grow with, as a two-way guy. You know, we we've talked a lot about we've talked talked a lot about Nolan Patrick, you know, as as a player who could take a big step this year. Needs to. Um, I, I see Lindblom as more of a natural progression guy year to year. You know who. 
you know, just going to be a solid role player who you can play anywhere in the top nine. That's really where I, I peg Lindblom. So, you know, I, I would go with Sandheim as my guy. Just to be different, I'll go with Phil Myers. How do you like that? Ooh. But I, I well, agree. that actually transitions into a, a question yeah. here from Jared. A big, was there something? Sorry, Anthony. I didn't no, no, I was going to gonna say, I, I, I tend to agree with Bill. Oh, okay. Uh, Jared at JBPHI says, uh, it's assumed that Ghost is going to slot into the third pair with Andrew Myers. Uh, and that, Phil Myers. Um, that'll, that'll lead to a, a shift, I guess, of uh, Sanheim going up to pair with uh, Braun. Is that an assumption, or is that assumption a byproduct of Ghost trade rumors? Wouldn't Braun be an ideal guy to play next to Ghost and help him help revive him? Your thoughts? I'm not a huge fan of the concept of playing Ghost and Myers together. I don't know about you, Bill. I, I just don't like that combination. Um, I think that that's probably the way they're going to start the year, but I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be great. Um, I do think ultimately you're going to see um, uh, see Ghost probably play with somebody who's a little bit more defensively responsible, and same likewise with with Phil Myers. Um, I think that will be better for them. Um, but I think at the beginning of the season, I think you're going to see Braun and Sanheim as the second pair, assuming Niskanen's playing with Provorov on the top unit. Yeah, and I and I, I agree. I think that's how they're going to. That's how they're going to open the season. Um, uh, I talked to uh, Vino and I talked to Yo, and they they both want to go left left right on three pairs to start the season. So, you know, it really it'll give you it'll give you two options in there. I don't you know I don't know. I mean, Phil has a ton of you know ton of upside, but he's he's a young defenseman, and and you know we know we know what Ghost's strengths and and um, you know li- liabilities are as a player. Um, I, I I don't know how the two of them. We'll click together. One thing that they should do well is, you know, they should move the puck up ice very well. Uh, how well are they how well are they going to communicate, taking care of their own end of the ice, that kind of thing. I mean, that could, you know, maybe maybe you could see Braun go with uh, go with Ghost for a while there. But I but I think to open the season is exactly what Anthony said. Yeah. Yeah, and and one other thing on on that is I think that's kind of lost in the shuffle here is, you know, the the, the quote unquote seventh defenseman. Um, whether it's Haig or or Marn, I think it's going to be Haig. Um, I, I don't I don't think that they're going to be utilized as a typical seventh defenseman. In other words, I don't think he's going to be sitting on the bench a lot. I think you you might see a little bit more usage out of the number seven defenseman in this in this group, just because of trying to protect um, uh, Phil Myers a little bit and and not you know have him run into a situation where he's you know struggling in his first full season in the NHL and then kind of gets you know caught in the uh, um in, in the head game of it you know which happens a lot to young defensemen um i think you might see a lot more of this of the number 7 guy getting time um on the third pair to just to kind of just to kind of make it you know a little bit more protective of of Phil Myers all right, uh, let me get to a question here from Sean Moore, uh, and I'm going to kind of parse this one down. But let's assume that we know what the first line is um, and that we've got Hayes as the 2C and Patrick as the 3C. How do you see or what do you think would be the best pairings uh, of, of wingers to go with Hayes on the second line and Patrick on the third line? 
I'll, I'll take it. Um, I would say for, for Patrick, he's shown some pretty good chemistry with uh, Oscar Lindblom, so I might, uh, you know, I might, I might go in with that. Um, if, if one of the young players doesn't doesn't make the roster, again, you might end up with a situation where uh, Pitlick opens the year as your as your third line right winger. I don't know if that's ideal, but it might be how it shakes out. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think Voracek will. Uh, I would think he would open the year with Hayes. Um, you know, of course, we, we've seen what uh, we've seen what he can do in combination with uh, with Giroux and with Couturier. They've been a very effective line when they've been together. Um, and then also last year for 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 a significant period of the season, I thought I thought the line with Lindblom, Couturier, and Voracek was the Flyers' best line for you know pretty much the entire time those three were together. So you know there there are some options on there. Um, I I think that. I think that, uh, you know, I don't think they want, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, a JVR, I guess, I guess could open the season as, as the left winger with, uh, with Hayes's line or, or he could, or he could go with, uh, or he could go up top with, um, on Couturier's line. I personally like, like JVR more in a second line kind of a role and then go, you know, then go, cause he, he, then you have Giroux in the left, Couturier in the middle, connecting on the right. So that's how, that's how I would go at least. I I don't know where JVR fits. <laughs> I hate to see. I hate to say because I really like the guy. Um, I, I I think that he might honestly. I mean, he's probably going to start on that second line, but I think ultimately he's going to end up as your third line left wing. I think long term he's going to. Um, I don't know. Uh, I know that I know that there's I know that there's a uh, a good chemistry between Patrick and Lindblom, but I would almost play Lindblom on that second line um and JVR on the third just just for just for I don't know just to spread just to spread out the 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 scoring a little bit a little bit better I think I think you have a better chance of Lindblom breaking out to be a 20 to 25 goal scorer playing with Voracek than playing on a third line with Konechny I mean um with uh Patrick and uh, Pitlick or whoever as your third line right wing. All right, the last one that's here, and I, it kind of comes back to something I think we talked about earlier in the show, but um, Evan Adkins asks uh, specifically to Bill because he says the Bill's been positive on the Flyers offseason. Um, he asks what he thinks of uh, Fletcher blowing through the cap while not improving drastically. And I, I guess that part of that is probably built in the idea of the Niskanen trade, um, along with some other things, retaining Gudis' salary, um, I, I guess Braun being brought in like he was. Bill, do you think this was the best way to use the cap space as, you know, trying to move this team forward and, and make them a legitimate contender in the conference? Well, I mean, I, I think everyone would have loved if they would have been able to get Truba. Um, the Rangers didn't have to pay a ton to get Truba, and then they signed him to that long-term deal um you know and a very lucrative deal at that but i mean you know but then you know then you're then you're looking at tying yourself in long term a lot of cap space and okay what does that what does that mean for proverov and that you know that kind of thing um you know i, I one thing that i do like is that there's not a ton of term on those deals i know you know it's something evident and i have actually gone back and forth with online um and actually i you know i i wouldn't say that i'm positive or negative on it i, I see both sides of it 
I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who's automatically knee-jerk negative on things because I think there is an avenue to be significantly better. And again, it's on, it's more on the goals against average side than anything else. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree about that they haven't, you know, improved significantly. I think it's not a slam dunk that they have, but I mean, I'm glad that they didn't, they didn't give up prospects at all this off season. So the farm system is still entirely intact. They've actually added to it. And then, you know, then a year from now, Braun is unrestricted. And then two years from now, Niskanen is unrestricted. So, you know, how, how long did you really hamstring yourself cap wise? Really, they didn't. And even this year, they can they can sign their two restricted free agents and have still a little bit of space under the cap. So I don't really agree with Evan's premise on there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that this team makes the playoffs. But by the same token, would it surprise me if there were a team that's, you know, in the postseason and knocks off a team or two? And, you know, and, you know, no, that wouldn't surprise me either. A lot of that is going to depend on your goaltending and your strength down the middle. And, uh, you know, so there are avenues to improve. So, you know, I, th- I think the jury is out on all that. And in, term- in terms of cap space, you know, I'm not, I'm not for, the, for the long term, I'm not really, you know, super concerned about it. I, I just think that there's too many ifs or too many hopes. Too many, well, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, then it's great. That's the only thing. I, I think Bill could be exactly right. I think that the team could be better. Um, I, I'm certainly not worried about the cap space. I think that I think he's spot on with that. Um, that even if it doesn't work this year, you're not looking at long-term cap hell. You're just looking at something that's like, okay, well, we tried this and it didn't work. Let's do something different next year. Um, My my concern is within this season, just within the vacuum of the 2019-2020 season, there's a lot of ifs that have to work out for the Flyers to to have a successful season. And, you know, it's possible. But I don't like going into a season like that, especially when you haven't won a playoff series in seven years. I just, I just think it was a, I think it's a real gamble. It's an absolute gamble, and you know the Flyers are really fingers crossing their fingers that uh, that their gamble pays off. Otherwise, it could be it could be pretty ugly down there. And I and you know and and I see that Anthony. Of course, the flip side of that is the teams that everybody is saying, oh well, the Rangers had such a fantastic offseason, and they did. I you know I don't I don't credit a team for lucking into winning the lottery. <laughs> I mean that oh, no. you know but yeah. uh, but you know but but they certainly landed plum picks both both you know one and two the Devils and I and I think Jack Hughes for the Devils is going to be a fine player. Is he going to be a fine player right off the bat? Is he going to be a big impact player right off the bat? No, no, probably not. Same thing with Kako. He's going to be a little inconsistent to begin with. That that's a team where after Zabinajad, everything drops off in terms of you know in terms of down the middle. They they added Panarin and and you know I think Panarin is a tremendous hockey player, but you're paying him he's like he's winger. Patrick Kane. He's a winger, yeah, he's right? A winger. So you know, I, I mean, the Rangers had a, a a huge amount to to make up in in terms of you know, could, could the Rangers be a playoff team? Sure, are they a cup contender yet? By no means. You know, same thing with the Devils. You know, the uh, can can the Islanders duplicate what they did last year? You know, I I have well, they, I have, they have yeah. a great coach. Yeah, they, and they, they do, and they do. But I mean, you know, the I mean, the Flyers also brought in a, a proven head coach, and and then will it work here? We'll see. You know, but I mean, but in terms of track record, you know, in terms of track record, Vino's teams tend to get better when he goes there. So, you know, I I, I think that uh, you know the coaching component may be may be there for the Flyers. That certainly is a big part of what they're banking on. And you know, I I, I think you're 
you know, are, are the Penguins better? Are the Penguins coming back to the pack a little bit? No, they're, they're, I think they're done. I, yeah, right. And I, and I'll, they yeah. still have some top end yeah. talent though. So, you know, and, and I mean, obviously Washington is still, still a threat. I think, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of parity, a lot of question marks with a lot of teams. You know, I, I mean, look, look how far Carolina got with not very good goaltending the past year. That's, that's still, you know, those are still things that every every team has its question mark. So while I agree that you would love to go through the offseason and go, okay, yeah, absolutely, the fly, you know, the Flyers got way better. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I I, th- I think they're in that mix of teams where you know it might work, it might not. I'd just like to go into a season again, Bill, and it's been so long, but I'd like to go into a season saying, barring a catastrophe, this team's making the playoffs. And then we'll see what happens. Let's see. Let's see how they match up against some of the better teams. Let's let's try and you know if we need to fine tune at the trade deadline, great. Um, but this is a playoff team, and let's let's really start to you know focus on April and see what happens after that. I mean, that's possible that they're a playoff team this year. Certainly is, but I don't I don't feel that confident going into the season that it's that it is a playoff team. That's what that's what I'm missing with this squad, and I, that's what I that's what I was hoping that I would ha- be able to come into the season saying, "Oh yeah, Flyers playoffs. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about you know how far they can go as the season progresses." But I'm pretty confident they're going to be there to start the year. I I don't feel that yet. Maybe maybe next year, maybe maybe a month into the season, I'll feel that way. Um, but as of right now, going into this season, I still think that they're a bubble team. And I and I and I agree. I mean, they're they're one of several teams I have. Right in the bubble. I just I don't know that uh, I don't know that the pieces that were were out there to add this off season that they could vault them to the next status because you're still counting on you know Provorov to bounce back and you know Patrick to continue. You know you, you're looking you're looking a, a lot of that still still rides on the young guys taking you to that next level and and you know the guys who've been your nucleus still being effective for you know for that period of time too. I don't know. I mean you know. Who, who would have been the guy that would have gotten them there? Would If they would have gone out and signed Panarin, had he been interested in coming to Philly? Because, you know, from all indications, it was going to be, you know, one of the New York market teams or, or maybe Florida. But, I mean, who, who was out there to add that they really, realistically could have added that would have gotten them there? Because I don't know that that player was there. That's a good, well, that's can a good I, question. Can I just kind of let, let me put it like this, though? I, I'm not so sure that this front office did a great job of, of working the margins and, and like, the, the move that went down you know most recently and and bill we've gone back and forth once before about the undertaker i believe on uh, on twitter so i'm 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 relying on you to to follow me on this one you know new jersey goes out and trades a second round and a third round pick and and now all of a sudden devil's fans are celebrating gusev day i'm not so sure that the it's a move that the flyers couldn't have made and it's it's the kind of move that like is it is it risky because he hasn't played in north america sure is it risky because you know, it's it's been seven years since he was originally drafted by Tampa Bay, sure. But to get a guy on what is it, four and a half million per year over two years to come in and, and be somebody that might be able to bring you legitimate playmaking, a, a guy who um I believe the last two seasons has had more assists than games played. Uh, th- those are the kind of moves that I think a, a, a solid front office makes and it's a bit disappointing to have the kind of uncertainty that the Flyers have, especially on that third line. I don't know. That's just why. I'm well, at. yeah. I mean, we 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 could debate Gusev, but I mean, I I think that could he come in? Yeah, yeah, he could. But I mean, I, I 
you know, and I actually do watch some KHL hockey. It's roughly it's roughly AHL caliber hockey on average, right? And the the history of guys who've come over as older players from Europe in general, but from Russia in particular, you know, some make it. You know, the really special players, the Igor Larionovs, you know, those, those guys come over and you know, there's no problem, right? But you have, you know, but you have guys in the KHL. Look at, look at, look at the Flyers' experiment a couple of years ago with Evgeny Medvedev. And he's older. He was, you know, already in his 30s by that point. Um, but that was a guy who was a perennial all-star in the KHL, one of the really top defensemen over there. You know, he had a good camp over here. He had some moments, but he didn't make any impact on the Flyers. And that, that's a guy who played a lot of international hockey. You know, again, was a top-end guy in the KHL. You, you know who's been an all-star several times in the KHL? And I'm not comparing. I'm just saying this is the level of competition. Everybody remember Matt Ellison? You know, of, of Patrick Sharp fame? He's a, mul- yes. he's a multi-time all-star in the KHL. And, and he certainly would never have been that in the NHL. It's, you know, it's just it's, it's a different level of competition. Uh, you know, uh, Ailey Tolvin and the, the Finnish prospect who went into the Finnish, went to, went to the KHL and was scoring a bunch early on. He's come to North America. Young kid, and I still think he can develop. He struggled over here. It's a, it's a big adaptation to make. It's a big leap of faith to trade. You know. I mean, honestly, could, could the Flyers have made that pick? Yeah, they could have made that move, yeah. But then, you know, then, then you're tied into something, you know, where, okay, well, now are you blocking... You know, are, are you blocking Farabee a year from now? Are, are you blocking Radcliffe if uh, if he develops quickly? Are you blocking Frost? I mean, you know, maybe maybe is an immediate term thing. If he comes and makes an impact, yeah, the Devils could look great. There's risk there too. The, the, you know, it isn't. You know, I don't know. I I, I just think that we, I just think that every move has a risk reward to it. And you know, could it work, could the Devils come up looking great for it? Sure. Is it a huge deal that the Flyers didn't make the move? I guess time will tell on that. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have, I have a healthy skepticism of players that come over a little bit older, and uh, even guys with the capability. And we all remember Yuri, Yuri Dopita as well. I'll throw that name out too. The best player not, not in the, in the NHL. NHL. Yep. Yeah, precisely. Scored, scored five, what four, five goals in a game, four goals in a game, four, four goals, in four, game. four goals in a game, and then there was uh, a game uh, where he went head to head with Bobby Hillik, who might have been the, one of the best faceoff men in the league, and he won fourteen of fifteen against them. Had two assists because he was motivated to play against them, and really those were the two games of note in the NHL for him, right? And then he did, he did no, nothing. He did nothing. Did nothing. Yeah, did nothing. Yeah. Wow, that's for Dunya his uh, credit, his credibility. So uh, anyway. Uh, I think that's probably a, a good place to wrap up. Yeah, because we've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, we're we're going on uh, we have yeah, ninety plus minutes here, guys. So <laughs> yeah, how about that? Ninety plus minutes of legitimate Flyers content. Uh, really quick before we go, Anthony's been pestering me about this. So there is a, a five star review that we have. So we're gonna pat ourselves on the back here, Bill. Just uh, try not to throw up while we're uh, <laughs> while we're doing this. Uh, this was left by me zero zero two one zero who says, best Flyers podcast. This podcast is highly entertaining and informative. It's filled with tons of information and is great for hockey fans, new and old. The banter between Anthony and Russ is awesome. Anthony's got good stories and Russ's blurted out style compliment each other well. I just want to compliment with an I, me00210, for using the correct compliment with an E in that uh, review. It's a nice little grammar moment we had there. Okay, that's the teacher and you coming out. How about it? 
Wait, wait, Bill, Eddie, thank I, you for joining I, I, us I, on this show. It, it really is great to have you just, on. And, of course, uh, I'm, I'm no assuming that at some point this season, when Anthony uh, goes out and has a theater production, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be talking to you on the Press Row show this it, year. It'll be so. in the spring, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, w- I would love to do it. I'd love to do this again, too. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, awesome. don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, go tell all your friends, your family, that... Uh, they should check out this episode of Snow the Goalie with uh, with our friend Bill Melser. And uh, Bill, do you have any anything you want to plug? Any sites? Any work that you're you're doing right now that you want to put out there to the to the folks at well, home? Well, we have a uh, we did a series of features last week where I talked to the uh, new Flyers coaches on uh, getting some of their philosophies on systems. Um, well, I did one with uh, Michelle Terrian, one with Mike Yo, and then finally one with Alain Vigneault. And uh, I was, you know, I was really fascinating talking to those guys. And uh, those three articles are still on the site. And then we have a series coming up, actually, on some of the stuff we touched on in this show on impossible roster battles in camp. So look for that a little later uh, in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Anthony, do you have anything that you want to say before we head out? Uh, thanks for cutting me off several times, Russ. Thanks. Yes. That's what I'm here for, buddy. Yeah. Oh, hockey season is not that far away. Six weeks, baby. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, a beautiful Six weeks moment. Of training camp. Don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossing Broadcast, Crossed Up with uh, Anthony and Bob. And I, I feel like there's uh, something brewing with Crossed Up. We're still not allowed the, to say uh, anything. The, we're still not allowed to say anything. But uh, <sighs> make sure you, you keep your eyes peeled to the website and to Twitter, as uh, there could be a little bit of news about Mr. San Filippo and. Uh, and the one known on Twitter as BW Crossing Broad. Of course, uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, which, by the way, Anthony, I know you're not a soccer fan, but the uh, listener numbers have been through the roof because uh, unlike many teams in this city, your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union are in first place in the Eastern Conference. In Ross, I think everybody just so, turned uh, off the everybody just enjoy turned off that. our podcast. And uh, I believe, uh, did we get everybody? Oh, there's also uh, Crossing Broad FC and Broadlines, and there's all kinds of legalized sports betting things that are going up, features, um, bunch of big news so go check out crossingbroad.com for all of your sports betting and uh for bill for anthony i'm russ thanks for listening and we will uh talk to you again next week